this morning on the news it said that um, Labour are proposing four new bank holidays. So that's, that's my vote sorted straight away. <laughs> Who said I can't be bought? Definitely. Four holidays, that's fantastic. Uh, a really great announcement to make this morning. Tunde has got a permanent job at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital. <laughs> fantastic. He kept going for interviews around the country. I kept saying, Tunde, I'm praying you won't get them because I want you to stay here. And now he's staying here. So God's good. Thanks, Tunde. It's great that you've got that job here. And we're very excited about that. Now, on your, on your seat, on the other side of the uh, bulletin, there is an outline. If you want to fill that in, you can do. There's things for you to do there. If you're tired this morning, and this, this might be a means of keeping you awake, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'll shout every now and again in that direction, just so you stay awake. And that's not an excuse for anyone to go over sleep over here either. A couple of years ago, my uh, parents, my in-laws rather, who just live two streets away from us, they go to City Church in, in the city centre. Uh, they bought a garden bench, um, and uh, here it is there, there's a picture of it there. We've got some strange things going on with our... Uh, Paul, can you sort that out? Okay, well, it's just going to flash on and off. We might just switch that off if it's going to be a problem. Anyway, my in-laws bought a garden bench, and it's one of these nice sort of decorative garden benches, and to be honest, I don't think you really need to sit on it a great deal. It's just, it just kind of looks nice. And they thought, well, their front of their house faces south, so that's where they get the sun. So the idea was they'd put it out the front. But Claire's dad said, well, I'm not sure. You know, I, do you not think it will get stolen? So we said, look, you know, no way. Kingston Park is a lovely area. It's full of nice law-abiding people like Matt and Joe and uh, Keith and Lucy and Peter and Heidi and Mark and Jean. And if I forgot anybody else, my apologies. But there's no way that's going to get stolen from there. So they, they put the bench right outside the front of their house. Off they went to the shops, and then we went round as quick as we could. I think it was actually Claire and Naomi. And they picked the bench up, and they moved it around the back of the house. So when they came home, the bench had gone, and Claire's dad just went into meltdown. I told you it was like this. This is a terrible area. We're surrounded by thieves. There's the bench. It's not the exact bench, but... And went terrible. And then he's on the phone to the police, phoning the police, talking to the police officer. So when we heard them on the phone to the police, we thought it was time to own up and say, look, it's just round the back. That The bench is fine. And fortunately, the police officer on the phone also thought it was very funny and, and didn't do us for wasting police time. So they put their bench back now. It's, it's back out the front of their house. Um, probably not a good idea to, to, to move it again. Claire's dad's likely to... His blood pressure's high anyway. They, did find, they do find it funny now. They didn't at the time. But I think one of the worst experiences in life is, is going to get something and, and, and discovering that you've been burgled or a thief has been and taken something that is really important to you. I think one of the worst experiences is probably going downstairs in the morning and discovering that all the good things that you had have been taken, that someone has come suddenly, unexpectedly in the night, a thief has been and taken what you uh, treasure and, and what you like. You know, the Bible teaches that Jesus is going to come back again to this earth one day, and the Bible teaches that that could even be today. So you may not have to sit through this entire sermon because Jesus may come back. That may spur you on to pray for the second coming this morning. And if Jesus was to come back today or any time, the Bible says that that will catch people, the majority of people in this world, by surprise. It will be a sudden and unexpected event that will catch people by surprise. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus' return for those who are not expecting it will be like a thief coming to their house. It will be sudden. It will be unexpected. Just like a thief comes and takes your belongings and you go and look for... Uh, and, and they're gone, and it will be a sudden and an unexpected and an unpleasant event. Jesus made it really clear that one day he will come back to take those who've trusted in him and have surrendered their lives to him to be with him forever. They'll be taken to be with him. 
But he also made it really clear that he's going to judge and punish those who are left for all their sins, for all their wrongdoing. Whether they are alive when he returns or whether they've died in the past, they will all be brought together, alive or dead, to face Jesus as their judge. And the Bible says that he's going to punish them for their sins for all eternity in what the Bible calls the lake of fire, or what we sometimes call hell. And Jesus, when he's talking about his own return, he uses this picture of a thief breaking in and catching people unawares to describe something of what it will be like when Jesus comes back. It will be sudden and it will be unexpected and it will catch people by surprise. And Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament of the Bible, he uses the same picture. Learning from Jesus, he uses the same picture to warn us and to teach us about Jesus' return. And one of the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament of the Bible is a book called Th- uh, First Thessalonians, there are First Thessalonians and Two Thessalonians, two letters that he wrote to a church in Thessalonica, which was in northern Greece. And, and we've been studying First Thessalonians for the last few weeks here on Sunday mornings. And Paul was trying to answer some of the questions that they had. They were new Christians. He'd planted the church. He then had to flee because his life was in danger. And so he's writing probably from Corinth in Greece to northern Greece. And he's trying to answer some of the questions they have that he hasn't yet answered. And the first question about the second coming that Paul was trying to answer in this bit that we're about to read was, what would happen when Jesus came back? What would actually happen? And we looked at that the last time in uh, chapter 4. And the second question he was trying to answer was, when would Jesus actually come back? What was the time? What was the date? When would that take place? Paul told them what would happen in chapter 4. He says that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come and take those that have surrendered their lives to him to be with him forever. If they've already died, their spirits will have already gone to be with Jesus. And as he comes again, he will bring their spirits with him. And then their bodies will be raised from the dead, be reunited, and they'll have transformed bodies. And they'll go to be with Jesus forever. And then those who have trusted in Jesus but are still alive at that point, we, our bodies, if, if that's us, will be transformed. We'll be like Jesus was after he rose from the dead. And we too will be caught up, snatched up into the air to be with Jesus forever. And all of this happens, the Bible says, in a split second, in the twinkling of an eye, and we are taken into this new world with no more sin, no more pain, no more death to be with Jesus forever. But those who haven't trusted in Jesus, haven't surrendered their lives to him, are left behind to face God's wrath and punishment for their sin, for their wrongdoing. So having told them what would happen, he then wanted to deal with the question, when would this actually happen? And so Paul wrote the bit of the letter that we're going to be reading this morning. And we're going to look at this today. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and it's verses 1 to 11. So if you've got a Bible, you want to uh, turn, you, you can do it, or you can just listen as I read it out to you this morning. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 1 to 11. He's just been telling them in chapter 4 that Jesus is coming again, that people are going to be transformed and taken up to heaven, those who've trusted in him. And then immediately after this, we get into verse 1 of chapter 5. We're going to read chapter uh, Chapter 5, down to verse 11. So he says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, talking about the times and dates of Jesus' return, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, 
putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. So having just talked about what would happen when Jesus returned in chapter 4. Paul starts this section in chapter 5 by saying, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The Christians in Thessalonica understandably wanted to know, well, when is this going to happen? If Jesus is coming back, when is it going to happen? I need to know. I need to be ready for this. And Paul was reminding them, look, I've already actually talked to you about this when I was with you. You know very well, Paul says, And they knew very well that it would be like a thief in the night. It would be sudden and it would be unexpected. The phrase the day of the Lord is used right the way throughout the Bible to refer to the time when uh, God comes in the person of Jesus to judge people and to rescue those who've trusted in him from that judgment and then to judge those who've rejected him. That's what the day of the Lord refers to. So Paul says the day of the Lord, this day of the Lord, this return of Jesus to take those who love him to be with him and then to judge those who are left behind. He says it. It's going to be a little bit like a thief burgling your house at night. It's going to be sudden, and it's going to be unexpected. There's no second chance here. People asked Jesus himself when he would come back. But he always made it clear that nobody would ever be told the date or the time. And that's a really good lesson for us, because we shouldn't get focused on trying to predict the the day or the time when Jesus is coming back. That's a pointless and, and actually an unbiblical exercise. And if you ever hear somebody saying or, or, or teaching that this is when it's going to happen or, or Jesus is going to come back at that date or that, well, they're wrong because the Bible flatly contradicts that. Jesus himself expressly forbids that. So if you hear that, it's wrong. It's unbiblical. We don't know when it will take place. But what we do know is that it will be sudden and it's going to be unexpected. We don't know when it will take place, but it will be sudden and unexpected. And one of the points of this passage is that we shouldn't try and predict when it's going to happen. So Paul is saying, look, don't get focused on when it's going to happen. Don't get obsessed with that, dates and all the rest of that kind of stuff. The the important thing to focus on is being ready for when it does happen. Live as if it's going to happen today. Because if you're living and if you're ready for it, then there'll be no problems. If you're not ready for it, that's when the problems start. So don't get obsessed with when it's going to happen. Just make sure you're ready for it. And in verse 3, Paul says, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. When Jesus comes again, Paul says it will be like a woman going into labor. It will be sudden, and it will be unavoidable. Once labor, once childbirth starts, you can't stop it. It's happening, and there's nothing you can do about it. And Paul is saying it'll be a bit like that when Jesus comes. It'll be a bit like a thief coming at night. It'll be sudden and unexpected. But it'll also be a bit like a woman uh, giving birth. There's n- once it starts, there's nothing you can do to stop it. There'll be no warning. There'll be no supposed to return today. And if you've trusted in him and if you've surrendered your life to him, then that will be a fantastic and an amazing moment. It's not a scary thing. Quite the opposite. It's the most amazing news ever. It's fantastic. If Jesus was coming back, then that's the end of sin and death and mourning and pain. We've got to be with Jesus forever. Fantastic. Amazing. Our bodies will be transformed. We'll be with Jesus forever in him. Then Jesus' second coming will be a terrifying event. It'll be like a thief coming in the night, sudden and unexpected. It will be like Going into labor, there's, there's no stopping this. This is going to happen and, and nothing I can do about it. So here's a question for you this morning. 
a really serious question. Are you ready for the return of Jesus? Are you ready for the return of Jesus? Jesus said, if I go, I will come again. Are you ready for the return of Jesus? If Jesus was to return today, would you go to be with him or would you be left behind to face his judgment and his punishment for your sin? It's a really, really serious question. The Christians that Paul was writing to in Thessalonica, they were probably a, a small group, maybe, maybe 200 or 300 Christians perhaps in this big city, surrounded by everybody else who were not Christians. In fact, perhaps lots of them hated the Christians. They were under a lot of persecution. And the people in Thessalonica were living in a city that was part of the Roman Empire. It was ruled by Rome. And the Roman Empire had brought peace and safety and security. People were, were comfortable and, and they, they, they kind of enjoyed this peace and security the empire brought. So much so that the people in Thessalonica had erected a temple to worship Julius Caesar and Augustus Caesar as gods. They worshipped them as divine gods, even though they were just men, in honor of the peace and the safety and the security that the Roman Empire had brought them. Paul was saying to these Christians in Thessalonica that the people who surrounded them were putting their trust in the wrong thing. While they were saying peace and safety, the second coming would come. While people are putting their trust in things that don't deliver the second coming will come. They were trusting in the peace and the security that Rome brought them. And people do the same today. They put their trust in political systems. Believe me, if you're putting your faith and trust in this election to, to deliver peace and safety, it won't. We pray that God will, will bless us as a nation, but political systems don't deliver. If we're, Sometimes people put their trust in their wealth or in their status or their education or... Uh, all sorts of different things, putting their trust in these things to, to deliver what they're really looking for. But this passage is teaching us that it's foolish to do that because when Jesus comes again, people will discover that those things that they've put their trust in have failed them. They won't deliver what they were looking for. You know, it's easy for us who have trusted in Jesus, and perhaps many of us here today have put our faith and trust in Jesus, but it's easy for us who've done that to still be focusing on the wrong things. We may have trusted in Jesus, but we can still get sidetracked and end up focusing and putting our focus and our faith and our trust in the wrong things. We can get caught up with putting our time and our energy into things that will bring us peace and safety, not realizing that the only thing that truly brings peace and safety is the Lord Jesus. Whether it's politics or our career, our pension, our savings, our status, our wealth, our family, our home, all of those are good things. Nothing wrong with them as such. But if we're putting our faith in them, if we're looking to those things, then we'll be shortchanged. The danger comes when we live our lives focusing on those things to deliver for us instead of being ready for the return of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we should be living as if it were kind of with one eye on this earth and one eye up in the sky looking for Jesus' return. So yeah, we've got stuff to do in this world. We've got to get busy trying to make a difference and bring God's kingdom into this world. But at the same time, we have one eye on the sky looking for the return of Jesus. So often we get sidetracked and we put our time and our energy or too much of our time and energy into things of this world instead of living for God as we should do. And part of the point of this passage is that if Jesus is coming again, then this should make a real difference to what I do with my life. If this is going to happen, if Jesus is coming back at some point, and it could be today, then this should make a real difference with what I do with my life and what I fill my life with. Now, for those who reject Jesus and refuse to give their lives to him, his return, as we said, will be a sudden and unexpected event, an event from which there's no escape. 
But those of us who've trusted in Jesus, this great event shouldn't catch us by surprise because we should be living lives that are ready for it. We don't need to start worrying about the date. We just need to make sure our lives are ready for it. Look at what Paul says in verses 4 and 5. He says, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. The Bible frequently uses the picture of nighttime to describe what is bad. And that's because bad things usually happen at night. People use the cover of darkness to do bad things, don't they? That's when most crimes are committed. Darkness or nighttime in the Bible is is often used as a picture of Satan's rule and of sin. And until people trust in Jesus, they're described as living in spiritual darkness. Their lives are ruled by sin. And the Bible talks about people being blinded, unable to see reality because they're in darkness. So whenever Jesus comes for a non-Christian, it'll be like a thief coming at night. They're in darkness. They won't be ready for it. It's unexpected because their whole life is in spiritual darkness. That's their identity. But those who love Jesus, on the other hand, are described as having crossed over from darkness into light. They're those who belong to the light, belong to the daytime. Jesus said this. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Those who've trusted in Jesus live in the light. And so Jesus' return won't be or shouldn't be a surprise that brings terror and fear. It will be something that's expected and brings joy because we have had our eyes opened and we are now meant to be living in anticipation and, living and looking forward to that return. Paul says in verse 6, So then, let us not be like others, in other words, like those who are in darkness. Let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. So Paul's saying, don't be like the people caught by surprise in the darkness at nighttime by the thief. Let us be alert. Let us be awake as if we're in the daytime. Those who live in spiritual darkness are spiritually asleep. Sleep is what happens at night. But as Christians, we're not meant to be asleep. We're awake. So as Paul says, let us be alert and let us be self-controlled. And his point is that although we're those who live in the light and those who belong to the day, we can, if we're not careful, still live by our old identity instead of by our new identity. We've been changed from darkness into light, but if we're not careful, we can find ourselves choosing to behave as if we're still in the darkness. As followers of Jesus, we have a new identity. Our life has changed. The Bible says this, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord if we've trusted in Jesus. So live as children of light. And this verse teaches us that it's possible to be uh, light in the Lord and yet not live as children of the light. We've had our identity changed, but it's possible for us to do things that are contrary to our new identity. Paul says you are light. That's your new identity. So make sure, make that daily choice to live as children of the light. Make sure you live by your new identity and not by your old identity. Because it's possible for us to belong to the light, to belong to Jesus, but to not live as a child of the light. Sadly, we sometimes make really dumb choices. We make bad choices and we do things that are more characteristic of how we used to be, of our old identity, than of our new identity. So write this down. We need to choose to live according to our new identity. I need to choose every day to say, I'm going to live by my new identity. If I've trusted in Jesus, I'm no longer in the darkness. I'm no longer asleep. I have a new identity. So I'm going to make the choice to live and and behave in a way that matches up to that new identity. God changes our identity forever when we trust in Jesus. But choosing to live by that new identity is a choice we have to make every day. So here's a question for us, each of us, to think about. In what ways am I living according to my new identity? And in what ways am I still living 
according to my old identity? In what ways, if I'm a follower of Jesus this morning, if I profess to be a follower of Jesus, in what ways am I living according to my new identity as a child of the light? And in what ways am I still choosing at times to live according to my old identity as a child of darkness? In verse 7, Paul says, For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, literally, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Nighttime, in Paul's day as is now, was synonymous with sleeping and with drunkenness. People generally don't sleep in the day, not normally, and people don't generally get drunk in the day. They do that at nighttime. And as people who are described as children of the day, And as children of the light, our behavior as followers of Jesus and our lifestyle needs to match up to that new identity. Paul's whole point in this section is to teach us not to obsess about times and dates when Jesus might be returning, but to make sure that our lives are actually living out the reality of being ready for Jesus' return. That we show that we are people of the daytime so that we're not caught out. In other words, if I knew that Jesus was going to return today, how would I behave? If I knew for definite that Jesus was coming back at 5 o'clock p.m. this afternoon. What difference would that make to my behavior? What would I stop doing and what would I start doing? How would I be different? How would I look different if I knew for definite that Jesus was coming back at 5 p.m.? And Paul's point here is that actually we should be living as if if Jesus was coming back at 5 p.m. every day. That's why we don't know when it's happening. Otherwise, we'd all just do our own thing and wait until near the time to get sorted out. God lives leaves us with this tension of not knowing when it's happening. Paul gives four examples to us of what living by our new identity looks like. Firstly, he says that we should be self-controlled. Literally means sober, i.e. not getting drunk, but it has a wider meaning than that. When we get drunk, we lose control. And we can end up engaging in all kinds of sins because we're not in control of ourselves. And that's why uh, we should never get drunk. Nothing wrong with drinking alcohol, but a follower of Jesus should never be drunk. When a Christian gets drunk, they're living by their old identity. But we can be completely stone-cold so yet still not be living lives of self-control. We can still be sinning. And so following Jesus day by day involves making that daily choice to exercise self-control and to abstain from sin, to make that choice not to live that way. So we need to be self-controlled. Write this down. We need to be self-controlled and abstain from sin. This is a choice that we're living by our new identity, we're living by our new life as, as people of the light. And so we are people who, of the light are people who are self-controlled. People of the light of the daytime are people who abstain from sin. They, they, they control their behavior and don't engage in sinful practices. It's about reminding ourselves that we're children of the light and of the day. We've been given this new identity and choosing to live accordingly. And then Paul gives us three more ways in which we are to live by our new identity and be ready for Jesus' return. He uses the idea of a soldier being ready for combat by wearing armor. When a soldier, to get ready for combat, a soldier would put armor on. And Paul, Paul uses that kind of picture. And he says that just like that, we've got to do certain things in order to be ready for Jesus' return. He says that we're to put on faith and love as a breastplate. Just like a soldier would put on a breastplate, everybody, everybody would be able to see his armor. So we are to do the same, not a, a physical, literal breastplate, but we are to be marked out and seen as people of faith and love. But what does he mean by that? Well, putting on faith is about living a life that's built on faith in Jesus. It's faith in who he is, and it's faith in what he's done for us in dying for our sins and rising from the dead. The thing that we're building our life upon, the thing that other people should be able to see that marks us out, that we are known for, 
that drives our choices and our decision making is our belief in who Jesus is and our belief in what Jesus has done for us. So we need to be known for and build our lives upon faith in who Jesus is and what he's done. Write that on your outline. We need to be known for, just like a breastplate would be seen, it would be visible. People would know this, this, this soldier is now ready for combat. We need to be marked out visibly, physically. It needs to be an evidence in our life that we're building our lives on who Jesus is and what he's done. People around us uh, are known for putting their faith in all kinds of things, believing that they receive peace and safety from them. But we need to be known and marked out for faith in Jesus, not placing our faith in and building our lives on, our, on, on politics or our careers or our wealth or our pensions or our families or our status, but to be built on faith in Jesus. The second thing we have to do is to put on love. So just like a breastplate would be seen, Paul says, I want you to be seen as those who are people of love. Now we make ourselves ready for Jesus' return by being marked out and known for love for God and a love for other people. Jesus said these words, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The world around us will try to get us to focus on and love all sorts of things. Things that in and of themselves are legitimate, perfectly legitimate, so long as we don't love them in the number one place. Fine if it's number two, three, four, and five, but Jesus, but God needs to be the person that we love primarily and above all else. To love him and give our whole lives to him and put him at the center of our lives. And for you younger guys, as you're going into a whole new life, as you're kind of planning GCSEs and educations and careers, my challenge to you today is put God right at the center of your lives. Don't fall for the lie of saying it's about my career, it's about my getting, a, uh, you know, getting married, a relationship, or, or, or having a big house. Make that choice to put God at the center of your life, to put God in number one place. And of course, when we love God, when we place him at the center of our lives, that will in turn mean that we'll love others because to love God will mean that we will do what he wants us to do, which in turn is to love and care for and help others. So write this down. We need to love God and love others. We need to make that daily choice to put God first, to love God and love others, rather than loving the things that this world will try and get us to value. This world will try and tell you, will try and tell us that we should value our careers, our status, our education, our qualifications, our wealth, our families, our homes. And all of those things are good things, nothing wrong with them, so long as they're not taking the place of God. All those things ultimately are fluff, dust that disappear when it comes to standing before God. The third thing that Paul tells us to put on to be ready for Jesus' return like a soldier puts on armor is the hope of salvation. But what does he mean by that? Well, we get the answer in the, in the very next verse. Paul says, putting on the hope of salvation, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the Bible, when we say, or when the Bible says we have this hope, it's not a kind of cross your fingers and hope for the best kind of thing, as people often say today. Hope in the Bible means absolute certainty. It's something that we're trusting in, something that we're hoping in, that is definitely going to happen. That is where our hope is, where our focus is, and it's definitely going to happen. So Paul is saying that we should be marked out as followers of Jesus, as people of the light. We should be marked out as those who are focused on the return of Jesus to rescue us from the coming wrath. That is our hope. That is what we're focused on. That's what we're focused on, our greatest hope. Our hope shouldn't be, and we shouldn't place our hope and our whole kind of life in winning the lottery or getting that promotion or getting married or having kids. Nothing wrong with many of those things. Some of those are really good things. But the point is that our hope 
our focus should be on the return of Jesus to rescue us from the coming wrath, to receive salvation, as Paul puts it, rather than in those things that only develop, deliver temporary benefits. And if our lives are focused on the certain hope of Jesus' return, it will keep all the other things that we might be tempted to hope in, in the right place, so that they don't take over our lives. So write that in. We need to put our hope in Jesus' return, which is guaranteed and certain. Our lives are full of all sorts of uncertainties, things that are not going to deliver. But the one thing that will deliver is the return of Jesus to deliver us from God's wrath. And let's put our hope in that. Paul says that he, that's Jesus, died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Jesus died for us. Why did Jesus die? Well, death is a penalty and the result of sin. Jesus didn't die for his own sins, but he died for our sins, to take the punishment for our sins. So that if we put our faith and our trust in who he is and what he's done, then, and if we surrender our lives to him, then whether we're awake or asleep, in other words, whether we are alive or have died, when Jesus returns, we will live with him and be with him forever. In a world without sin, in a world without death. And so Paul says in verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another. This should be the, the, the best news we've had all day. Encourage one another with this fact, with this news, just as in fact you are doing. The fact that Jesus is coming back to take us to be with him forever should really excite us, should really encourage us. And so if and when we see each other struggling with ill health or with financial problems or with relationship problems or whatever it might be, the call then is to love others and to take time out and try and encourage each other and build each other up in our faith. So that, And if we see one another being caught up with this world and taking our eyes off the fact that Jesus is coming again, or when we see one another beginning to live more like those who belong to the night rather than the day, then we should challenge one another and call one another back to the kind of life that we should be living, where we're focused on Jesus' return and are living accordingly. So let's forget about trying to work out when Jesus is coming again. It's not biblical. It's not helpful. Our focus should be on being ready for Jesus' return. That is what our focus should be on, not when is it going to happen. Paul is saying we're to live as if it's going to happen every day. And if we do that and our lives are ready for Jesus' return, then it doesn't matter when it happens because we'll be ready. We won't be surprised like a thief in the night. It won't be like a a woman going into labor. We will be ready and we'll be excited. And the challenge for us is to live lives that are in keeping with our new identity. As children of the day, as children of the light, Lives that are marked by self-control. Lives that are marked by abstinence from sin. Lives that are marked out by faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Lives that are marked by love for God and love for other people. Lives that are putting their hope in the second coming of Jesus to rescue us from God's wrath. To take us to be with him rather than in the things that this world wants us to hope in that ultimately don't deliver.